Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell. But what is Comedy in a Nutshell? Well, aside from the name of this podcast, that is the very question that I, your host, Mark Decano, put to my guests each episode in the hope that with their vast and diverse knowledge and experience in the world of comedy, they'll be able to summarise everything they've learned into a few pithy sentences. You can find out more about my journey in comedy fandom on my website, thecomedynerd.com. I love talking to the people in comedy about comedy. If you'd like to hear what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, rate, review and share the podcast. Thank you. My guest this episode is a writer, actor, comedian and dungeon master. She has a joyful and cheeky comedic style, which Chortle once described as always engaging, and is as adept at conveying a rich and powerful narrative as she is at just messing about. Stand-up comedian, Sasha Ellen. Tell me, first of all, when you were growing up, was comedy like an influence on you? Was it a happy-go-lucky household? Um, I mean, my parents were really into sitcoms, and they still are. They're, they're still very into sitcoms. So I think definitely. So I think they watched less stand-up, but they watched a lot of sitcom. Mm. But like, they were really into Eddie Izzard. Mm-hmm. And... Not that much else in terms of stand-up. They were like, Eddie Izzard is the one. We love it. And Eddie Izzard's amazing, obviously. But he was like, he was the messiah. And everybody else was just like, yeah, they say some words into a microphone, but they're not Eddie Izzard. And actually to this day... I, every so often for, for Christmas and birthdays and things, I'll get my my dad specifically kind of tickets to, to see people that you might not have heard of, but I know are really good. And he'll come home and he says exactly the same sentence every time, which is, um, it was good. Wasn't Eddie Izzard? <laughs> every time. There's just, there's nothing apart from, apart from Izzard. Uh, so yeah, a lot of Eddie Izzard, but then yeah, mostly sitcoms, I think. So mm. I think they, I don't know if they watch any other telly apart from sitcoms, actually. I think they're mainly into sitcoms. <laughs> Did that influence you? Because I know that you went into acting, but you were classically trained. You, were you thinking all the time of, I want to be the funny character? Which one is the p- people in this play who get the laughs? I think to an extent, mm. I mean, drama school is a weird place. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, it's very strange. Um, but, but yeah, I think so to an extent. I think I, I watch a lot of comedy, but I didn't do any comedy till after drama school, really. Right. But I think that was mostly because my drama school was one of the only ones that didn't offer a little stand-up bit. So most most drama schools acknowledge the fact that stand-up actually feeds a lot into being able to do some quite classic acting-y things. I mm. mean, the soliloquy is addressed at the audience. You have to make eye contact with people. You have to, you know, kind of connect with them, which is a fairly unique skill, mm. which stand-up really helps with. Um, but my drama school were like, nah, it'll be fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll just do Shakespeare. It'll be, it'll be cool. Um, so I didn't, I, I wanted to do kind of some comedy and some stand-up, but I didn't until after the fact, really. Yeah. So what was it that made you want to do comedy and stand-up specifically? Really enjoyed watching stand-up. Mm. So I watched a lot of stand-up kind of as a teenager and then um, at uni. And then, so my, my drama school was a postgrad. So then during that time, and I think it, it's one of those things where I didn't really, I always wanted to do stand-up to an extent, but I don't think, I, I don't think it's really an, there's not an open path as it were. There's not, I think it's still the case to an extent. I think less so now. I think mm. it's a lot, it's more accessible now, but I think, when I was starting out, it was less, it, it was kind of opaque. Right. It wasn't obvious how you can sort of go and 
get stage time pretty much especially if you I mean I lived in London at the time especially if you live in London mm. you can you know go and get stage time pretty much most of the time it's not that much of a problem it's just not obvious it's not obvious how to get into it right so when you started did you have those influences from before did you have like Eddie Izzard sitting on your shoulder or did you have your own influences or did you consciously strike out to be different to what you'd seen before no I think when I started out I just kind of went this is the only thing I can say for now <laughs> so I think it's obviously the, the things that I'd watched and the things that I'd ingested kind of lived in my brain and it they always do. Um, but in terms of whether I could draw a direct parallel from the first few things that I'd said on stage, I think it was more just, let's see if I can do jokes for this amount of time. Let's see if I can, you know, write a setup punchline thing yeah. more than anything else. I think I was much, I was more skittish and kind of rather than being like, I'm going to hit the stage. I'm going to be Izzard. <laughs> um, although I was more into Dylan Moran when I was growing up. Yeah. What was the experience like becoming a comedian? Was it what you expected it to be? I don't think I had a huge amount of expectations going in. Yeah. I, again, it was one of those things of I'll do this little thing. And if this little thing goes okay, I'll do a slightly bigger thing. <laughs> and, and then maybe that'll go okay. So I don't think, I think some people kind of kick the door and are like, live at the Apollo, you're welcome. <laughs> um, I, I think... I have lower self-esteem than that, I guess. I, <laughs> I very skittishly kind of peeked around the door and went, can I, can I come and say a thing? No, that's okay. Bye. <laughs> um, so it's, I think it's one of those things where people, maybe some people have this idea that you kind of, there's a very set path. And some, the thing is for some people, there is a very set path and they do very well. And that's amazing. Uh, fairly quickly. Um, but I think, it's it's an up and it's a it's a very long road mm. and that's good probably that's probably good for artistic development and it's good for personal development it's good for you mm. for it to be a long and slightly unpredictable road yeah did you do uh anything like a course at any point I did I did a little bit of a course yeah but I I kind of then I didn't do that was during drama school so I didn't and it was originally it was my drama school doesn't offer it I'll do this mm. and then I didn't do any stand-up for a while until I graduated because I suddenly had all these kind of I was in productions and I had to you know it's, it's a large time commitment mm. so um yeah I had I had a a break after that and then I went and did a bunch of Chekhov after yeah. drama school <laughs> why not um because it's hilarious because it's hilarious yeah. it's so funny <laughs> no one dies but everybody wish they had um um and, and then I I I wrote a play which I was in which did all right which mm -hmm. kind of transferred and went to various different places yes. so I I didn't really have time for stand-up for a while and then after that I started doing stand-up kind of properly. Yeah. That play, uh, Signal Failure? That's the one. You've Googled me. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it did very well. And that's, you're going from, again, from Chekhov into comedy, writing comedy, acting, without having a great deal of exposure to it in, in, in mm. drama school. What was the appeal? And again, what did you get out of it? What, what did you think it was going to be? And, and when you put pen to paper... The first thing I did out of drama school was I went to the Fringe, not with my own show. I was mm -hmm. kind of 
they got me in as an actor into this sort of narrative sketch show ish. (laughs) I don't really know how to define what happened on that stage for an hour. (laughs) It was, it was this terrible thing that five people, including myself lived through for a month of Edinburgh (laughs) that was on at 10 to midday. And it was just the, the flyer for it was just an image of a crab with no explanation of what the show was. Hmm. And it was just the most, and I, I didn't really have any experience in the Edinburgh Fringe. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was like, I'll go for a month. It'll be fun. And it was just immediately <laughs> after my, my graduating production. Um, and um, it was, I, I was there for a month and I saw 50 shows and mm-hmm. uh, I'd never been to the Fringe before. Uh, I saw 50 shows and I did all the weird little Fringe workshops that they do at Fringe Central, yeah. which nobody goes to, um, <laughs> except kind of very hardcore theatre people who want to bring a show up. Uh, and I, I saw, yeah, I saw a lot of stand-up. I saw a lot of sketch. I saw a lot of theatre. Mm-hmm. And I that kind of influenced me to then write a comedy I think the, the the play that I wrote was kind of inspired by and modeled on a lot of the shows that I'd seen that kind of moved me and that I really, really enjoyed. So that's, I think that's what it was. Yeah. When did you begin stand up in, in earnest as opposed to plays and sketches and writing? So I did, we, we the play went to um, New York, which was nice. Mm-hmm. We were in a lovely off-Broadway theater and I was there for a couple of months and, um, I mean, New York has an insane stand-up scene. It's <laughs> you know, it's it's incredible. So I I gigged there a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, then when I came back, so this is kind of like Christmas 2014, just New Year 2015. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do stand-up now. I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So before you went on stage for that first gig, you're now a person out alone, whereas previously you've been in like an ensemble cast. Did you have, did that give you like nerves, anxiety, that sort of thing before going on stage? I think, I think, yeah. So I think I was very nervous stand-up wise for the first year, couple of years, maybe. I think it's, people ask you if you get nervous. If you tell people you do stand-up, people ask you if you get nervous, because of course that's a totally normal thing to feel mm. and I think and even now I'm like well yeah sh- it depends on the gig yeah so yeah. it depends on how important the gig is if it's an important gig yeah absolutely I get really nervous now and if it's just a very chill kind of low stakes thing no not at all anymore yeah. but when you first start everything is high stakes mm. because it's you, you don't get that many things that you get to do so everything feels high stakes and therefore you're nervous I mean I'm nervous all the time maybe not other people (laughs) well let's talk about your personality on stage your persona if you will I mean you 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 like to go on stage saying that uh you (laughs) you look like you go to a primary school but you don't know if it's as a teacher or as a student are you conscious all the time of that sort of, of of how you're perceived on stage and do you mold your style of comedy towards that perception I think it's a perception that you have to acknowledge, right. but that's not really 
who I am <laughs> and realize that very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I've been, my Edinburgh Fringe reviews described me as a horny CBeebies presenter. I feel like <laughs> you've got to get that out there early. That can't be a surprise later on. That's got to be something that people know relatively quickly. So I think it's just acknowledging yeah. a visual thing and then going, I, I get what you're seeing, but that's not what you're getting. Yeah. And that's fine. That perception that, as you say, you go out and you acknowledge that, does that then help you as a comedian towards like framing you and your character on, of you on stage? Or Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I get that I'm small and blonde and kind of puppy dog eyed, but <laughs> that's not really something I can change. That's something I have to work with. Um, I, I don't think this thing, so some people ask whether there's this well wonder I guess whether there's a certain like comedy look and there was to an extent but I don't think there's any look that you can have that you can't work with on stage as a comedian as a solo performer right so and there I think there are challenges regardless of how you look so with anything that you could have going on visually there are going to be its own challenges and its own rewards so mine comes with its own challenges and its own rewards just like everybody else's um so i guess you just acknowledge what people see and then you move on and how far is that character of you on stage is it a character and how much are we seeing the real sash ellen how much is it your your acting coming through on the on the stage that fluctuates i think that fluctuates from i mean from definitely from show to show but from mm-hmm. maybe even from gig to gig to an extent i think sometimes um i'm very close to who i am off stage and sometimes i'm miles away and i think that's kind of okay but i think that also depends on the room to an extent mm-hmm. and how open you can be with that room or what that room expects of you so mm. you, it's, I mean, gigs are different, you know, people, you, you can go into a venue and go, ah, oh, you, you guys, okay, it's late, you're drunk, I get it. <laughs> or alternatively, oh, you're sitting very quietly and listening. Okay, I'm going to have to, this is going to be different. So I think that relationship between persona and who you are, that, that has to fluctuate, that has to change. Yeah. But of course, writing characters and playing characters looms large because obviously you're writing sketches Mm. and then you're performing sketches. So you're doing the acting, other people's characters, acting your own characters. And then, of course, there's character building experience, which you do, which is about arguably forcing characters on other comedians. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Go on that show willingly sometimes. It's me guilt tripping my friends, but you know, occasionally, occasionally yeah. somebody's enthusiastic about that. Um, they get a choice. I don't, I don't make them. <laughs> Love to make them. No, I don't. Um, I think character building is a very different kind of its own art form. I don't think it's not. Mm. I get stand-ups to do it because I like the way that stand-ups play that game. Um, mm. I like the way that stand-ups approach taking on characters. I like the way that stand-ups approach storytelling. Uh, I like the way that stand-ups approach simple problems with insane solutions that will never work uh, for a laugh. So (laughs) that's that's why I primarily get stand-ups to do it. Although occasionally improv comedians are fantastic and, Mm. you know, occasionally sketch sketch people who all approach, all of those disciplines approach um, 
that show in completely different ways. Um, but I think because I'm a game master in that show, yeah, I'm kind of outside of that to an extent. I provide the framework for it to exist. And yeah. occasionally I take on a character or two. But given that I don't really do accents or, <laughs> you know skits it's not i i am a game master in that respect so i'm i'm more kind of a facilitator for the show oh for anyone listening who doesn't know what character building experience is we should probably explain how would you describe it uh character building experience is a dungeons and dragons style comedy game show it's uh more of a piss take of dungeons and dragons than it is dungeons and dragons so it's not comedians playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's comedians taking the piss out of Dungeons and Dragons in a loving, very sweet way. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, kind of the ethos of it is that anybody should be able to walk into that room and understand what's going on. So uh, role-playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons can be very, very dense and slightly impenetrable. Mm. So over the last kind of couple of years, I've really tried to strip out anything that anybody wouldn't understand if they didn't have any prior knowledge while still kind of trying to keep it engaging for some nerds where you can still <laughs> come in and you can kind of go, oh, yeah, we do do that. And that is stupid. Um, but I think with any nerdy content, that balance between having, between it being accessible to people um, who wouldn't have prior knowledge, which is most people, and having a couple of in-jokes that the people who recognize those intros can go, oh yeah, I do, I, I do do that. And I do feel included in that. That's yeah. a really tricky one to strike, but that's kind of what we do. Yeah. And of course, as you say, you're providing a framework, but this is very much improvised comedy. So how much comfort do you find in improvisation and how much improvisation do you put into your solo stand-up work as well? How much I do in my solo stand-up work outside of kind of trying to work out bits on stage. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I mean, in my last show, not this show just gone, but the 2022 one, I deliberately had a bit in it where yeah. I asked the audience for their experiences of a specific issue. So there was an improvisational bit built in, but that's mm -hmm. crowd work more than improv. Yeah. Um, so which, you know, I, I guess it's, it's the same relationship of improv to emceeing, which I do a bunch of. So there's that, I guess. But I think with with character building, it's I do go in with a framework. I do go in with a story. Hmm. And that, that never quite works out. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, no, nobody ever lets me do the story. Um yeah. one day. Um, one of our one of the the people who are on character building a lot and who was actually who started as a sort of permanent panelist when we still had permanent panelists, um, the first fringe we did is Vicky Hawley, who is an improviser. Mm. That's her whole thing. Um, and I think the way that we do improv in character building, because it's primarily stand-ups, often left her despairing. <laughs> Which was fun to watch for us. Yeah. But it was one of those things where she, you know, that improv is very intricate. There's structure, there's technique, there's a lot of stuff that there's a kind of common language that improvisers have, and we mm. don't have any of that. Yeah. So, or, <laughs> um, yeah, she was, there were some shows when she was um, sad. <laughs> but you host uh, D&D &D events outside of character building experiences yeah. as well. 
how different is it between the serious gamers and the opposite end of the spectrum, which is the uh, the comedians? I mean, that's the thing. D and D events, uh, if if I'm kind of hired to host one, they're not necessarily serious gamers. Sometimes it's kind of beginners who need somebody. Sometimes it's you know just a one off corporate event where they go oh this will be fine this will be entertaining so it's not necessarily that but serious gamers are a world in themselves um i think character building the main difference isn't that it's stand-ups the main difference is that there's an audience and it's a show so i would say it's a show first and a game second yes and as much as we love to respect the rules of the game the game was developed I developed the game in order for it to be watchable, which mm-hmm. I would argue that a very serious game of D&D isn't hugely watchable. Some yeah. people do watch Dungeons, very serious Dungeons Dragons for four to eight hours at a time. Good stuff. More power to them. <laughs> but I just, yeah, I, th- I think sitting down to a game and being in a game is completely and utterly, di- for me, is completely and utterly different to doing a show, which is why character building is a Dungeons & Dragons style show yeah. rather than a game, kind of a game show in, in a more traditional sense. Yeah. Well, let's go back to your stand-up because you mentioned there a minute ago about your 2022 show, Creeps and Geeks. Yes. Which I saw twice because it was magnificent. <laughs> and it was nominated for Best New Show at the Leicester Comedy Festival that year as well. Mm. Quite a serious underlying theme. Yeah. How did you feel about putting on that show? Did you start with the message that you wanted to tell or did you write, were you writing jokes for a future show and then thought to yourself, actually, this could tell a powerful message here? I think I started writing it in the third lockdown, really. Right. So it was one of those things where we'd had two lockdowns. It had been, we'd we'd sat by ourselves for a while. And I think during the third one, I sort of stopped flapping and I stopped (laughs) kind of trying to do little things. And I sort of let myself defocus and just kind of, think about things that bothered me, think about things that I found uncomfortable. Mm. And that's when I started kind of, instead of writing for a very particular kind of, this is going to be the show this year, and the show is going to be about this, and this is going to be the structure of the show, and I just need to fill out these gaps with jokes, and then it will be a show. Mm. Um, Instead of doing that, I kind of went, what do I want to write about what bothers me, what, what moves me? Um, and I think that's how it kind of came about mm. that I, that, you know, it's a show on a slightly heavy topic. Yeah. And I think because generally it's kind of a year, I have a year to write the thing and I have to sit down and write the thing. This was, this was a little bit more time. There was a little bit more space to kind of think about things a little bit deeper. It sort of, the show shaped itself mm. in a in a kind of slightly more comfortable way, which I think wouldn't have really worked if I'd had less time and if I'd had the idea of the show and then I wrote the show. Yeah. So I think it was, yeah, it was helpful in that way. Yeah. But then this year's show, when life gives you Ellen's make Ellenade, which is a Shep's Kiss title. (laughs) Thank you for that. It's not nearly as serious, but also it's about breakups, but actually it was, Breakup was was fine. So you're going in with <laughs> no nothing like seriously 
you know, no. terrible message to get across. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I think there was an ethos to that show as well. The ethos of that show was um, these are all the things that you're going to, if you get out of a long-term relationship, these are all the things that are going to happen mm. in this order. And you know what? You're going to be fine. <laughs> it's not going to feel like it over here when, when you start, but... You're going to go through all of these phases. They're going to suck. They're going to be whimsical and funny and human and dumb. And they're going to bother you for reasons that they shouldn't. But at the end, you're going to be fine. And I think it was a valid enough message. (laughs) So then 2024, obviously you're working on your new show now, which you'll be doing as a work in progress in Leicester in February. Yes. So without wanting to give too much away about the new show, do you have a theme in mind? Are you, is it going to be darker? Is it going to be bright and breezy? I don't know yet. <laughs> I honestly couldn't tell you yet. Yeah. But I think it's one of those things where by the end of last Fringe, I started making jokes about like, oh, next year I'm going to have to get diagnosed or something. Oh, what am I going <laughs> to do? <laughs> something to write about. Um, I haven't. I'm fine. Uh, but, fine. I've tried. My GP will give me nothing. Um, yeah. it, it, it'll be about the stuff that's happened to me so far, and then we'll see. I think, you know, it's... I don't know yet, is the truth. And I think I kind of, I want to be more comfortable with not knowing yet. Yeah. I think it's a good thing not to know. I think this time last year, I didn't know what, what this year's show was going to be. Yeah. So I'm kind of okay with not knowing at the moment. Last year, I was working on a very elaborate bit about Dick and Dom at this time. Which um, <laughs> never made it into the show. But my God, do I know things about Dick and Dom now. Oh, a lot of law, Mark. There's a lot of law with Dick and Dom. I know everything. Oh, my God. So a biography might be in the works then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I was going to write anybody's biography, it would be Dick and Dom as one person. Yeah. Because I can't see them separately. They're, they're one, one, yeah. So we know that obviously in the course of writing a show, you do performances and you you change it around as you're heading for for Edinburgh so the show might not be at the end of that year what it was at the start of the year how much does it change over the course of your your month run at uh, the fringe the show evolves and definitely so the show that I did um at the Pleasance a few weeks ago two three weeks yeah. ago is definitely different to what it would have been at the start of the fringe and the end of the fringe so I think a show it's one of those things where you, it's it's like how long is a piece of string I think a show is almost for me, is almost never done. So I know some people who will nail every single word to the wall hmm. at least two months before the festival, and then they will have this beautiful word-perfect kind of streamlined thing. I think my shows change all the time. Yeah. And I think it will continue. I don't think I've ever been like, it is done. Um, <laughs> I think it's always like, oh, I could have fixed those five, and then maybe I could have extended, and then maybe I could actually bring that other, and then, yeah. It's, yeah. it's never done. Do you keep things in just for you, even though they might not have played well necessarily to an audience? Maybe one or two. <laughs> You've got to be careful with that. You really do. You've got to be careful with things that are in there just for you. Sometimes, sometimes I go, no, this stays. This stupid dick joke is the hill I die on. I don't know why, but it is. 
it's staying, but you generally know if it doesn't work, it goes. Yeah. So you talked about lockdown a little bit and about writing. Um, what about other avenues to to comedy? Did you try Zoom comedy, anything like that? I am bad online. That's what <laughs> it is. It's just terrible. It's just a terrible thing to say. My my PR despairs. He despairs that I don't I don't have Instagram. I don't do any of the so it gives me too much anxiety. That's what it is. I, I have anxiety. So it's one of those things where I, it just makes me too anxious. And I think retrospectively, I wish we'd done character building as a stream, mm. maybe. And because I, I was on a on a DD stream for the whole of the lockdowns, so it was very nice. Yeah. Um, and I wish uh I'd kind of done more. I think in the first little bit of the lockdowns. Me and my friend Adrian started a little show called Bears of Good News, which was just to do with good news stories because we were trying to cheer people up and we were, we were trying so hard to be positive. <laughs> and uh, so there was a little dancing bear in the intro and it was just us going, look, the dolphins are meeting sloths in zoos because the animals are lonely. Isn't this great? <laughs> and everybody was like, no, everything is fucked, Sasha. What are you doing? <laughs> So that was very short-lived. We stopped doing that relatively quickly because um, it just wasn't the vibe, uh, which is fair <laughs> enough. Um, and then after that, I got a bit lost for a few months where I was like, what do I do? Who am I without live shows? Mm. Um, and then live shows came back. So mm. it was fine. It was basically fine. It was just a bit of a weird phase. <laughs> Where are you most comfortable? Is it being a games master? Is it in putting pen to paper or is it the, the live performance? I don't know. I'm not sure, actually. I think, again, that changes. Right. That'll change from week to week or month to month. Um, I think sometimes you get on a roll with one thing and you kind of go, oh, okay, this is this is what I do. This is who I am now, yeah. um, which is never the case. Uh, <laughs> we're ever changing people it doesn't it doesn't really work like that so i don't know i think at the moment i'm enjoying doing character building it's a lot of fun mm -hmm. i'm a bit lost with a new show but i'm sure i'll find it and then i'll be really excited about doing that mm -hmm. and i'll focus on that for a few months and that'll be my whole thing um I don't know. Sometimes you start writing a script and you go this is it this is what i do mm -hmm. and i get hyper focused on that for a while yeah until i don't so I think it's I think it's kind of okay to I very much admire people who have one thing and they do that thing and nothing else and they they smash that one thing. Mm. Um I don't think I can do that. I think I need to kind of do various different things to keep my brain happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about like you you said um that first edinburgh when you went to see 50 odd shows mm. uh, do you do you still watch other people performing stand-up and, yeah. and as a stand-up do are you analytical and you go oh well, i know where the punchline is coming and or can you just sit there and laugh it depends on the show mm. so i do i do still watch a lot of stand-up especially when i'm in edinburgh mm. um because i love stand-up it's, it's great it's great to see good stand-up, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I think it's, I don't know. I was going to say, I think maybe it's a mark of quality when you don't focus on anything apart from what's being said. But I don't know. I think maybe sometimes you can have something that's very, a, a show that's very, very good that you can still kind of 
analyze and enjoy that as part of the show Mm. although occasionally you see a show and it's just seamless you can't see how it came together you can't understand how it came about it's just it's different and it's it's and it flows in a way where you kind of go okay i'm following it but i can't analyze it in any way shape or form and that's fascinating and beautiful yeah i talked about early influences when you're starting out in comedy as you continue in your career and you do see other comedians other people now who still inspire you yeah definitely i mean i'm inspired by loads of i mean from my peers to people i have you know i've watched for years and years and years i think it's i think there are there are loads of very inspirational people on the comedy circuit who are doing weird and wonderful things and uh i think comedy it's wonderful our comedy changes quite quickly um and yeah. progresses and kind of builds um and um yeah no definitely yeah one of the things about edinburgh is there's so many thousands of shows going on and obviously you will have a show that's occupying one tiny corner of this massive festival what is it like competing for an audience with hundreds or thousands of other performances no, if I see it as competing, maybe I should. Maybe I should just be like, yeah, everybody else in the four o'clock slot can fuck off. Um, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I should be more competitive. I'm. I try not to be competitive when I when I can. I play a lot of um, a lot of games. Apart from kind of the, the, the RPGs, role playing games aren't competitive. You're playing together with people. Yes. They're very rarely competitive. But I also play a lot of tabletop games. Um, you know, board games, card games, that kind of thing. And those, you know, sometimes tend to be competitive. And I think over the years, because it's a big hobby of mine, I've slowly trained myself not to get as competitive or not to get competitive Mm. because I don't know how much I enjoy that. Right. Some people really love competition. They enjoy it. It's something that they like. I don't think I enjoy the feeling of being competitive, which is why... I think I focus more on, well, I bring something that that's nobody else brings because my show is my show and it's me and it's unique in loads and loads of different ways. Mm. And um, character building is is character building. There's no other show exact. There are some geeky shows. There are even some even some role playing game shows every time in Edinburgh. But we are unique in these ways. Mm. So I think I tend to try and go. This is how these shows are different, and these uh, this is how these shows make me happy to be doing them, yeah. rather than trying to murder the people around <laughs> me. As fun as that would be. What about entering competitions? I didn't really do that. Yeah, I didn't do any of that. That's the thing, and to my own detriment, actually, I think. <laughs> and again, I think it was one of those things where I just I didn't feel good about it, so I didn't do it. I, I kind of went, if I wanted to do a job that didn't make me feel good, I'd do one for more money. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I do, I just, yeah, I'll, I'll do something miserable that will pay me more, hopefully. <laughs> um, it's, I, this is, I do comedy for joy. Um, I, I do it for the love of it. Yeah. And competitions made me feel but the idea of competitions made me feel bad. Mm. And they, I saw my friends do them a lot and it made them feel bad and it felt counterproductive, which, you know, a lot of people get noticed that way. Mm. And a lot of people, it helps people's careers. So it's not, I'm not anti-competitions. 
as such, I think a lot of people get a lot out of it. Also, it provides this framework of of kind of working on a on a very particular bit to make it kind of competition worthy, as it were, which is great. Mm. So people who do competitions and people who do well at competitions, brilliant. That's amazing. It just it made me feel bad, so I didn't do it. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> so do you have objectives or, or career? targets that you want to reach you want to achieve do you set yourself to your smiling at me you because... asked me what my five-year plan is and I don't appreciate it Mark I don't appreciate it who are you my mum no <laughs> having none of this shit from you <laughs> I think I have I think oh Tim Minchin said a wonderful thing which I'm going to butcher I'm going to misquote this really badly he was doing a speech to a bunch of graduates and he said uh, that instead of having these kind of big overarching goals he advocates for the tenacious pursuit of small short-term things that that you want to achieve because he he, and his point and again I'm butchering this I'm not quoting this I'm butchering his (laughs) his kind of his words, because he said it in a beautiful, wonderful, fantastic Tim Minchin-y way. Um, but he basically said that um, if you get to the big thing, if you work all this time and you get to the big thing, what if it's not what you want? What if you realize then that it's not what you want? And he he said this thing about kind of for him, it was always pursuing the shiny thing in front of him. And then you're going to miss the things in your peripheral vision that are actually going to, you know, fulfill you or make you happy. Yeah. So I think passionate pursuit of short-term goals mm. is better for me yeah. than kind of being like i want to play the o2 <laughs> do people have goals other people have goals don't they well uh, some do some don't well definitely should not include performing comedy at the o2 that's a terrible idea it's a terrible idea i've never i don't think i've seen like one thing at the o2 and i think it was dr brian cox oh, well. <laughs> and he smashed it <laughs> Smash the O2, did Dr. Brian Cox. He's got the universe on his side, so, you know. He really does, yeah. So speaking of passionate pursuit of short-term goals, what so far have been the best experiences you've had in comedy? Hmm, interesting. Um, I think taking my play to New York was great. Yeah. It was formative experience. It was an amazing couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, it influenced me in my future endeavors in a big way. Uh, I think it was also just really fun. I think we undervalue that. It was just a great time. Yeah. Um, I think every single fringe I did, I, you know, some have been more challenging than others, <laughs> but overall they've all been, you know, highlights. Yeah. Going to rainy, rainy Scotland and being chilly for a month. Really good summer, surprisingly. Just really great. <laughs> um, so I think all of those, all of the shows that I've done have been highlights for me. Yeah. Although some of my children are weaker and stupider than my other children. <laughs> so, you know, they're not all winners. <laughs> do you love your children any differently? Yes. Yes, you do. Yes. You like the good ones better than the bad ones. <laughs> Oh. What about the the opposite end of the spectrum? What's been the worst moments? Oh God. Um I don't know. What have been the worst moments? I think hmm. I keep I keep thinking of ones that aren't the worst. They're, they're just they're funny. They're they're dumb 
the dumb fuck ups that are funny. A lady <laughs> fell asleep in one of my shows, but the, the show went a lot better after that. <laughs> we made fun of her. We pointed a fan at her. It was a delightful time. Uh, the show wasn't going well before that, but it went much better after the lady fell asleep. Turns out she's fallen asleep in all the shows. I'm in, I'm in a good, I'm in a good club of people. Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I've kind of airbrushed some negative experiences. Maybe I should go back and like, <laughs> look, look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> well, it's interesting because. You've spent the time we've been talking so far using words like joy and fun, and you obviously have a, a bubbly personality and obviously very positive. Does that mean that the negative is hard to recognize even? And well, how does that work when you're trying to write a show and you're trying to find the negative, but you can't find it because everything is so great? Can I, there's not a shortage of negativity. <laughs> That's the thing. There's never going to be a shortage of negativity. Being miserable is really easy. Happiness is a bitch. <laughs> I feel like it's 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 not that I find it super easy to be happy all the time. I think it's just one of those things where it's how I would like to deal with things. And therefore, that's how I approach them. Yeah. So I try to put a more positive spin on things if I can. <laughs> Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes it's relatively easy. <laughs> so what then, in all this experience you've had of doing these Edinburgh shows and this, and this writing and performing, what important lessons have you learned and what philosophies have you uh, created for yourself going forward? Um, I think it's really important to approach making work with a sort of like goodwill, I guess, is how I'd put it. Mm -hmm. I think it's very easy to get grumpy. And I think it's really easy to get bitter because comedy is quite punishing. See, there's your negativity. I found it. Um, <laughs> you were looking for it deliberately. I was really <laughs> looking for it. I think, I think it, it, comedy is a very, very hard industry. It is. And I think that it is easy to, yeah, being neg being negative in it is, is quite easy. I think approaching things with, it's, it's, like, it's trying to find light and darkness more than anything else mm. that is the challenge but also it's, it's kind of it's the rewarding thing to do it's what comedy does really it finds it approaches and it's it's a contrast it approaches kind of heavy things lightly and light things heavily and finds kind of the levity in things that don't really have it yeah we talked a little bit about uh, the, these these small objectives is there anything that you haven't done yet you know, acting, writing, performing, stand-up. Is there anything that you haven't done yet that you feel should be part of your uh, your rainbow of skills? That's just a sneaky way of asking what my five-year plan is, isn't no, it, Mark? That's no. just sneaky. That's a sneaky. <laughs> oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah, well, you did it to um, me, so. That's true. <laughs> um, well, what should, I, what should I be doing? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can do more stuff does that make sense like i can't sing do you know what i mean like i can't learn an instrument at this point i think it's i think that that trade has sailed um 
Well, you don't aspire to the ukulele. I thought every comedian. Oh, was doing you that. say that I did play the ukulele very, very early. <laughs> Very early. I think like like my first maybe six gigs, I played the ukulele. <laughs> badly as well, badly. And I can't sing, so I just spoke very rhythmically over it. Um, <laughs> it, it was bad. It was very bad. Um, I'm not denying that. Uh, I, I don't think there's video evidence of it, which I'm very grateful for. Um, deeply, deeply grateful for. Uh, but no, I, I, it's still here somewhere. It's still my ukulele still hiding somewhere. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not taking up the ukulele again. Absolutely not. No chance. Fair enough. No. <laughs> so how can any listeners find out more about you and where they can come and see you perform? Uh, so I, I'm terrible on social media, but I do tend to try and post my gigs on Twitter. So at Sasha K. Allen on Twitter, I'm at Sasha Allen Comedy on Facebook. I don't have Instagram and um, that makes everybody who works with me very sad. Um, <laughs> I'll get it eventually. I'll bow to peer pressure. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, I uh, have a show coming out on Next Up which will be very exciting. They came to see uh, to film my show uh, this month. I have no idea when it's coming out, but do keep an eye out for that. Um, I do a character building experience uh, monthly uh, at a lovely comedy club called Artista in Brighton. So if you're Brighton-based, pop along to that. Um, uh, otherwise, I'm, I'm around. I do all the little festivals. Watch out. I might be coming to a town near you. Who knows? And I'll be in Edinburgh next year. Fantastic. And so my final question I always ask, Sasha, how would you sum up comedy in a nutshell? Do I have a word limit? No. Have I used it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are like five words and then I've just used six. Um, <laughs> you're, not, you're not like one of those evil genie people who are like, that was your wish. <laughs> um, I okay. Wish. Um, <laughs> um okay as broad or as narrow as you wish i think comedy is a distilled form of happiness you can borrow from other people so it's just a really concentrated bit of joy that you can borrow from somebody else like a cup of sugar yeah yeah <laughs> Sasha, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you for having me. 